0: Father God, we thank you so much for your word that you speak to us through it and it's a great joy to come to it every week and look at it carefully and, and listen for your voice in our lives. Would you be at work in our hearts, in our minds, engaging us, challenging us uh, and encouraging us uh, with all that you need to say to us today. I pray that you'd be with me as I preach. Uh, give me boldness and confidence to, uh, to speak your words. Uh, another thing that that is not of you would would it be ignored or forgotten and we just pray that you you would be with us Lord in Jesus name Amen Uh, so I want to begin by showing you some names a few names up on the screen here Daryl, Sandra, Harry, Tina what comes to mind when you think of those names I reckon it's probably going to be something slightly different for each one of us, uh, depending on the people you know that have that name. Uh, for example, Daryl was the naughtiest kid in my class at school, the one that was always causing trouble, always arguing back to the teacher, and, and you know, I hear the name and it just it, it gives me a sort of negative reaction. Maybe, maybe you know nicer Daryls in, in your life, uh, but that's, that, that was my reaction when I hear that name. And maybe some of the others, you hear them and it just immediately makes you think of someone and what they do or what they're known for. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it, how you kind of have that reaction to names. Well, as we come to Exodus chapter 3, we've got this really significant moment as God declares his name to Moses. And it does really help us understand who God is and what God is like. Truly, he has a name like no other uh, maybe gets us thinking: How are we going to react to that? What are we going to to think of uh, as we hear God's name? Last week, Wayne uh, took us through chapter two, preached on chapter two, and reminded us that God is always at work for the good of His people, even when things feel really dark. He is there, and we saw the proof there in in how He pre- preserved Moses's life as a baby, uh, as He positioned him in an incredible place he grew up in pharaoh's household and was looked after kind of kind of grew up in that place and ultimately god was preparing him to be an ambassador to pharaoh as one of god's people now at the time i'm sure moses was not really grasping a lot of this Uh, he'd been kind of kicked out of egypt and had to flee for his life because he had killed an egyptian you see that uh, in the second half of chapter two and as we get to chapter 3, he'd been living uh, out of Egypt for a long time. He was a shepherd for his father-in-law, and that was, that's just what he was doing. And we see at the start of chapter 3, he's tending the flock, he's looking for fresh pastures, and ultimately God is, is, is guiding you uh, towards uh, a special encounter. He comes to a place called Horeb, the mountain of God, oft, often we know it as Sinai. Uh, let's have a look at what happens. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. He meets God. This This is a stunning moment in the history of God's people. This is something that actually we too can learn a lot about God from. And when we learn about God, we have to sometimes use some big theological words to explain him. Big theological concepts. And sometimes I think, why do I have to know and understand words like that? Surely we don't need to. Well, I'll tell you what, can someone tell me who is the best footballer in the world? Who's the best footballer? Any ideas? Massey. Anyone want to cancel that? Everyone happy to say that Massey is the best footballer? Who? Johan Yo- Croft. I'm afraid I'm not into football, but even trying to decide who's the best, I'm sure is quite tricky. What words would you use to describe the best footballer in the world? How would you describe them? South American. South American, okay. What about their talent? What they're known for? How would you describe it? (laughs) Striker. Legendary. There you go. That's good. That's good. What's that? Balletic. Oh, okay. Clearly, I'm not up on all the lingo. Balletic. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to find the words to describe someone who's really good, who is the best at something. Which, when it comes to God, who is better and greater than everything else, we've got to find really sharp, clear terms that, that define who he is, that help us to grasp and understand him. So that's why I'm going to kind of give you two big concepts of God's identity uh, today that that help us understand who he is and we'll think about the significance of his name. Here's the first one. God is transcendent. God is transcendent. And what that means is that God is, is just beyond. He is above the universe. He's not limited by space or by time. He's above these things. He created these things. He is free from limits. He is free from bounds. He is infinite. It's concepts we can't really wrap our head around. He is transcendent. And we see that in the chapter. If you see in, in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. It's not a typical angel we're talking about here. If you notice, it's got the capital letters, Lord, the angel of the Lord capitals, and we'll think a bit more about why that's significant later on. But, but actually, maybe a more helpful translation would be the angel who is the Lord. The angel who is the Lord. It's not, we're not talking about the whole of God, but it's kind of a, a representation, a way of revealing God to Moses. And we get a sense of, of real transcendence as he does that. You've got this, this fire, this intensity, this purity, uh, this, this amazing moment. And it's clearly not a natural thing. I mean, Moses had been a shepherd for a while. I'm sure he knew how quickly the, these sort of bushes would have burnt up if they were on fire, maybe trying to keep warm on a cold night. And he's looking at this bush, and it, it's on fire, there's this, this, this burning flames, and it's not actually burning at all. I mean, I can't really imagine it. You know, every time you see fire, you see it getting black and dark and, and burning up. And we call it the burning bush, don't we? But it, it wasn't burning. Uh, It really is this this very special moment that that catches Moses' attention. And he goes to see what's going on. And he meets with the Lord. In fact, verse 5, God tells him, don't get any closer. You see that? Take off your sandals. You're on holy grounds. God's holiness, again, is a way of understanding his transcendence. It, It signifies, when we say the word holy, it signifies everything about God that kind of sets him apart from us. It makes him the, the object of our awe, our worship. Everything about him is holy. It, it, all of his greatness and perfection, it's this sort of set apartness. He is transcendent. And, and as, as God reveals who he is, you see in verse 6, who, I am the God of your Father. And then it says at this, Moses hid his face, he was afraid to look at God. Surely, I I, I can guarantee you that would have been our reaction as well. If you you give this moment of of awe, the right reaction when we meet that moment is to to not treat him lightly. It's to to hide our face because he is so awesome and so powerful. We also see transcendence in in the great confidence that, that God has in this chapter. You just scan through the verses and just look at how many times he says, I will, or I have done this, I will do this. There's no doubt, there's no kind of question about it. I will do these things, he says. God is outside of time. His plans will always happen. He is in control, and he never speaks with uncertainty. So there's great confidence because God is transcendent. It's really important for us to see that. But, but as well as that, here's the second kind of key word I want us to understand is that God is imminent, God is imminent. So another term, and what I mean by that is that God is, God is near, God is active, God is involved in his creation, he sustains it, he, he is present with us. We see that in verse 7 through tonight, we see it in the whole chapter, but look at verse 7 with me. The Lord said, I have, in, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Remember in chapter 1 we saw the awful plight that, that God's people were in. They've been turned into this slave force, being deeply oppressed. Uh, and at the end of chapter 2, they, they, they're crying out, and God hears their cry. And here he is saying, here I am, i am come down to do something about it. You know, we probably all go through times in our life where it, it feels like God has forgotten us. It, it feels like maybe he's really far off. Maybe that's how you're feeling here today. And we cry out in our pain, in our suffering, in our struggle. And we just wonder, is God listening? Maybe God isn't really interested. Maybe that's how the Israelites felt as well. But it's not true. And we see that here. Do you see what he says? I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned about these things. He's not absent. He's come down to do something, to to roll up his sleeves and rescue his people. He is with them. He, He is present. Among them, he is imminent. So why, why point these two terms out? Why do we need to understand them? They're, they're helpful for us to, 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 to grasp who he is. But they also help us stop stop falling in, into a trap that, that, that can become quite easy. And it's this. We need to see this. That we don't, we don't get to decide what God is like. We don't get to decide what God is like. I remember uh, in my home church growing up, uh, listening to a, quite a challenging sermon I, I can't remember exactly I think it was talking about God's judgment and God's wrath and the reality of that and it was, it was hard to hear it, it's a hard reality and after the service the, the two people behind me were chatting and, and I was just sitting there and they, they were saying basically do you know what I, I don't really agree with that my God is a God of love my God wouldn't do those things that doesn't feel right to me And it it, it can be easy, can't it, to kind of think with our and feel feel that way. That doesn't feel right. Surely God isn't like that. We need to be really careful when our feelings go against what is taught in Scripture. Because when when we try and define God ourselves, we end up sort of skewing or, or mistaking probably one of those two elements. Sometimes you focus on God's transcendence. That you know He exists. But we can ultimately think, well, he's very far off. He's not looking at what's going on. He doesn't care about how we live. My boss actually used to say, if there is a God, he's much too busy to worry about me. And people can kind of end up thinking of God in those terms. Some religions are based on that reality that, we, you know, they're trying to please this deity, but they're never sure really of whether he accepts them or is favorable towards them. There's no certainty, there's no assurance. I guess the opposite of that is focusing on God's immanence, And basically that, that results in, in faith that's something called pantheism. Pan means all. And it's basically saying that God is everything. Everything is God. There's no kind of personality to God. There's no, there's no kind of divine character. But it's just everything ooh, <laughs> Everything is united and, and everything is divine. And you kind of worship Mother Earth and you get all these kind of uh, attitudes. And it becomes very subjective. That it's just what you feel is true, what, what you feel is right, what makes sense to you. You see, when we try and when we try and uh, define God ourselves, we, we can't get it right. We have to look at how he's shown us who he is. To know the true God, we have to hold both of those things in tension. He is transcendent. He is holy and perfect and all-powerful and all-knowing. But he's also imminent. He is involved. He knows his creation. He acts to save them. And there's this beautiful reality when we realize that we can know the God of the universe because he's not just transcendent but he's also imminent, he's also there for us to, to know. I hope you find that a great comfort, that, that this all-powerful and reliable God is there for you and for me. Caring and understanding when we go through difficulty, when we go through pain. If we try and define Him ourselves, we lose that awesome reality of who God is, of how he relates to us. So he's come down to rescue his people and he wants Moses to go to Pharaoh. In, he, he says, that's what you need to do. In verse uh, 10, I think it is. Yeah, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses says, verse 11, who am I? Who am I to do, do this? Now we're, we're gonna come next week to chapter four and we're gonna see there's a lot of reluctance in Moses' heart uh, as he is told to do these things but really at this stage it's more of a question asked than humility he's just saying who am I I don't deserve this job I'm not worthy of this task and I love God's response you see what he says I will be with you verse 12 I will be with you you've got nothing to fear because I'm there with you I, he's the one who makes Moses adequate to this task and that's true for a, any believer really We're only capable of doing the things that He calls us to do, in His strength, because He is with us. But then we get this section about God's name, and it seems maybe it seems a bit of a strange. Why why does Moses ask this question about God's name? Who are you? He's always been the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. Why? Why would that have changed? Why? Why does he need to know something different? Well, remember, he's grown up in an Egyptian context. He's grown up in Pharaoh's palace. He He's grown up, uh, in fact, the whole of, of, of the Israelites in that culture would have seen people bowing down to these statues and these idols and these other gods, and they all had different names. That's how they would know who they were praying to. They'd have this name. And so they're saying, well, what name are we supposed to use to worship you with? Look at verse 14. Let's see what God says. I am who I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. We see that God reveals who he is. There is a lot written uh, about this uh, Hebrew phrase, this name that, that God gives. It's quite difficult to interpret, and you can tell because there's a footnote in the NIV which uh, points you to, um, uh, in verse 14, it says, or I will be what I will be. It, it, it's kind of a statement that is deliberately there to kind of burst any possible way we can hold on to a definition. It, it, it goes beyond that. We, to describe ourselves we, we, just, we compare ourselves to things that we? we say I am this, I am that I'm a man, I am short uh, and we do that in contrast in comparison to other people so I look at someone like Keith Murphy and I say yeah I'm short in comparison to him uh, we, we do that that's how we kind of define ourselves but you see God, God's name circles back on itself he's not defined by anything outside of himself It's a way of him saying that I am who I am. I am the creator. I'm the sustainer of of all that exists. I'm the Lord of creation. I'm the Lord of history. All that is, all that is happening. And it's that I'm the only one that can say this. I am who I am. In verse fifteen, he says, uh, to say to these rights, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the the capital letters, Lord. Uh, In Hebrew, this is, four letters, uh, the Y-H-W-H sounds. Now, in in the original text, there were no vowels included. But the scholar's kind of best estimation is that it's pronounced something like Yahweh. And that sounds like I am from from the verses before. It's, It's a kind of short way of saying I am who I am. So why do we end up using this word Lord instead of Yahweh? Well, in history, even before Jesus, the, the Jewish people were, were using this term Lord uh, instead because they didn't want any chance of kind of misusing God's name and taking God's name in vain. Uh, and so translations today, they do the same thing. I think because they, we can't be sure of how it's pronounced. We don't know for certain. It's, it's a best estimate to say Yahweh. And so we put Lord in all capitals because it's a way of recognizing this reverence that God has given us his name that he is Lord of all so when we, when we say that when we understand God as Lord and God as, as Yahweh what are we saying about him? well it points to his transcendence you know our identity like I said it is shaped by the people we are products of our culture for myself you know I've, I've grown up in england so i i I have a bit of a stiff upper lip you know trying not to to let on if i'm struggling uh there's there's elements of false humility don't like taking compliments that doesn't feel right somehow there are things we do aren't they to fit into our culture the clothes we wear uh, our haircuts just the things that we do and god is not defined by anything else no one else can define him he is who he is he will do what he decides to do Nothing can kind of force him to change. Nothing can force him to do anything that is against his will. And he always acts in consistent ways within that, with his character, his holiness, his love, his purity. And that gives us great hope because we know he always keeps his promises. But you see, it also points to his imminence the fact that, that he comes and does things for his people. You know, I started uh, the the sermon by asking you to think about those names and and what you associate with them. Uh, And you know, certain surnames were started off because of the the work that they were known for. Smith is the classic, the sort of uh, smithy, blacksmith. Uh, In fact, uh, I did some research and write, uh, paying attention Jonathan, apparently it means uh, a worker skilled in the manufacture of wooden objects, so there you go. you can, you can put that on your, on your resume. But <laughs> uh, sometimes names are kind of connected to what they do. And as we read this passage as a whole, as you look at the, the, whole, sing, the whole passage, so you see something similar with, happening with God and with his name. Do You see, to understand God's name, we've got to understand what he does for his people. Because we see in the rest of the chapter, that's, that's what he does. He explains what he's about to do. I am who I am, he says, and this is how I'm going to show that. Ultimately, the exodus, it is the definition of who God is. If you look at verses 16 and 17, he he, he reminds them again that he he is with his people. He understands their pain and he will act to save them, to bless them with a rich and fertile land. He has made this promise, he has made this covenant promise with Abraham and he will never break that. He goes on in verses 18 to 20 to explain about to Moses what's going to happen. That Pharaoh is going to be stubborn. He is not going to let, his, let the Israelites go. And God will act in mighty power and reveal his holiness and his judgments on the Egyptians. And then at the end, verses 21 and 22, he, he explains that, that as the people leave, there's no doubt that it will happen, <clears throat> they will plunder the Egyptians. They're going to plunder the Egyptians. That's a strange term, it sounds like, doesn't it? It's kind of talk, a bit warlike, taking the spoils of war. And actually, we'll see that there, there is war coming. It's going to be a battle that God fights for his people. And it's a way of God providing for his people uh, in the, the difficult, challenging years ahead. Uh, if you know the rest of the book, he provides for them even at the start. It's a preview of what's coming up ahead. And we're going to see that. We're going to see the holiness of God and his power, his grace, his strength and his love playing out. So when we think about the name of God, I am, it means something to us because of what he's done. And in the years that follow, if you'd said to an Israelite, oh, who is God? Who is this God? They would have been able to tell you the story of what they've just been through as a way of explaining that. And that's true for us too. We can know God because of what he has done for us. This is why this chapter must surely encourage us too. Because when we are asked who is God, we we too can tell them a story of great redemption and rescue, just like the Israelites. Even thousands of years later, God is the same. His name is the same. His covenant promises are the same. He is still committed to his people. Who are his people? Uh, Those who come to the Lord Jesus. This is John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Several times in John's gospel, he uses this I am structure. It's uh, very telling. Uh, it connects back to, to, to Exodus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life he 's saying really if you 've seen me you 've seen the Father. He reveals God to us. we know who God is because we know what Jesus is like and what he has done. In fact, Jesus goes even stronger than, than say this in, in earlier in john he, he 's speaking to the, these Pharisees who are against him and, and opposing his teaching and his claims, and he says this in, in verse fifty eight of chapter eight. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Isn't that a staggering statement for Jesus to make? He walked on this earth. He, he did such amazing things. But he said, before Abraham was born, that was thousands of years ago, he says, I am. It's such a very clear statement, claiming that he is God. He is the great I am. He is a part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead's. The Pharisees knew what he was claiming because they immediately tried and stone him to death. So in Jesus, God has come down. The transcendent God is imminent. He has come down. He he has put on human flesh. He's come to our world to rescue the ones that he loves. Isn't that staggering? He's revealed himself to, to sinners like you and me. We know what God is like because we know who Jesus is. We know what he's done. Um, some of you may know the author Tim Chester Uh, he's written a book on Exodus it was really helpful actually helping me prepare the sermon and he he summed it up with this brilliant quote I I just thought it was worth reading Uh, listen to this God is self-defining and his ultimate definition is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb we see the holiness of God in his judgement on Jesus we see the power of God in his defeat of Satan And his raising of his son. And we see the grace of God. Because Jesus was judged in our place. And rose to give us life. God defines himself. And his definition is Jesus. When you find God's ways mysterious. When you find God's character inscrutable. Or his conduct confusing. Or his presence distant. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I think it's such an encouraging thing to see. And remember isn't it? as we remember the name of God, the the eternal I am, the eternal name that lasts forever, that's what it says in in Exodus, then it's not I was, but it's still I am. He is dependable. For Moses, he, he could say, the God of my ancestors is still my God. And we say the same thing, the God of the Exodus is still our God today. We pray and we worship the same God who did all these things. And every time we hear that name, the name Yahweh the name of the Lord the Lord Jesus it's a reminder that God has committed he has come and committed himself to us a relationship with us that will never change if we put our trust in him let me encourage you to think about that especially if you're not following Jesus if you're not a believer uh, here today or watching online you have this amazing offer of rescue and salvation of a loving relationship with the God who created the universe that is something not to take lightly not to ignore lightly he is the way the truth and the life you can put your trust in him today and if you're not sure how that works then ask someone come and ask the question for those of us who are believers though do you see hopefully you just see really I've, it's such an encouraging chapter to, to know who God is we can find great courage here We can find the security of being God's children. And we may not be called to to big things like Moses was called to be, you know, this grand leader of all of God's people, be a real representative of God to to Pharaoh. We we may unlikely to be called to great things like that. But actually we're all called to live for God and to to, to offer our lives to him and honor him with our lives. And we can do that. Whatever he calls us to do, we do that with great confidence. Because we know he is with us. We know he is for us. We know him. Just that reality. He loves us. He died to save us through Jesus. I just hope that fills you with great reassurance, great comfort, and great conviction that actually living for Jesus is such a privilege, such an honour. It's such a good thing for us to to have that privilege to do. Let's pray, shall we? Let's, Let's give thanks for all of these things. loving Father, we praise you together this afternoon you are the great I am no, nothing else can define you or explain who you are you reveal yourself to us that's how we know and thank you for what this chapter teaches about how you are so glorious and, and transcendent and wonderful and yet you come and you, you welcome us in and, and you, you, you care for us and think of, of us we thank you we praise you lord would you thrill our hearts again would you help us rejoice would you challenge us where we need to be challenged and continue to work in us and help us commit our lives more deeply to you today lord as we worship you for who you are in jesus name we pray amen